This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. It is Friday, though. It is 7.10. And what we do typically this time of the week is we bring in and reassemble the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. We've got a, a veteran tonight and a guy who is he's hardly a rookie, but he's a rookie here. But we'll, let's introduce the veteran first, the guy who we love having here. He's been here a lot, and that's because he does a great job. Scott Urquhart, formerly of CHCH, now of irkedfreelance.com. Yep. Uh, you can, if you need something written, if you need something put together for a presentation, whatever it is you need, uh, irkedfreelance.com, you can get Scott. Scott, thanks for coming in tonight. Yeah, no problem. I really enjoy it. Thank you, Scott. Next to Scott, we have a guy who um, is... Uh, a few people around town know who he is. Used to be on TV as well on CHCH, did a little show called Square Off, and now is doing a podcast called No Fun Intended. He's doing it with his former Square Off colleague, Liz West. Mark Hebsher joins us. Mark, thanks for doing this. Scott, always a pleasure. Scott, nice to see you again. Yes. Scott, how are you? If we could have got a producer Scott. named Scott, it would have been perfect. Oh, my God. Yep, it would have... We're taking uh, over the world. That's, uh, yeah, really that's, that's true, the Scots. And I, and I don't know, by, in, the, in the next half hour, one of you guys will be Scotty. I'm sure. Hey, Scotty. I always discourage that, but or you know, Rads. Maybe, what about maybe, Radley? Maybe Urquhart wants to take that one. Irk, there's Irk and Rad. Irk and Rad. All right. I can live with that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, let's jump into the very first thing. There is a story that I and I said this last night. I try my best to avoid talking about this on this show more often than not because I think people get kind of worn down by the whole LRT discussion. But I got to tell you, in the last couple of days, and I've always been pretty agnostic towards the LRT because I'm probably not going to use it very much if, if and when it ever gets built. But that's not a way to design a city, whether I like it or not. It's whether it's for the betterment of the city. And so I've been pretty much, I don't, I don't really have a super strong opinion. But Scott, I'll go to you first as the veteran here. I got to tell you, uh, the last couple of days when we start hearing now that the James Street piece is going to be gone and we're going to do this and we've got to widen streets and we're not widening streets and maybe the bike lanes are coming. This whole thing has in the last couple of days reached a point in my mind that I've just kind of thrown up my hands and said, this thing sounds like a complete mess that no one knows what's going on. And until someone can actually explain to me what the plan is, let's just put a stop. Let's get it sorted out before we actually proceed, proceed any further. Cause it sounds to me like chaos. Well, it does sound like uh, we have another stadium fiasco in the making here. But um, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing that James Street Spur is being replaced. I mean, it's a very, very short line. It really means nothing. But taking bus service from the Bayfront to the airport, where LRT should go in the first place, is probably the best idea they've come along with since. And and I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm not arguing about whether or not lo- losing James Street is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm talking about, Mark, the overall sense of this thing is that it's just every day something seems to be different. We don't know, it seems to me anyway, we don't have a sense. What the heck is going on with this? How are we going to put shovels in the ground when we still can't figure out what we're doing? Well, Irk just touched upon it. I mean, it's the same thing as the stadium fiasco. And when you think about it, the Pan Am fiasco. And when you think about it, the World Cycling Championship fiasco. And when you think about it, any major event. Red Hill Creek Expressway. There you go. You said it. I didn't. Swaru. Swaru. Thank God, really, for Supercrawl. Thank God for that. Because when you think of all the big events that have gone on in Hamilton, Supercrawl is the one that kind of snuck under the radar. We didn't have these great expectations. People didn't go, oh, my God, what a disappointment. No, because it started off small, and the expectations weren't great, and it grew and grew and grew and took shape. 
And I see the LRT being kind of the same way. Like you either have to submit to it that it's going to happen and hope like heck that they learn from the mistakes made by their predecessors on city council. But it doesn't look like they are. It doesn't look like it because of all the past failures. How can you be optimistic about something like the LRT when we've just listed all these colossal failures? I mean, the stadium, no offense, Irk, but fiasco is way too soft a word. (laughs) Way too soft a word for what happened and how the people of Hamilton were completely and utterly blindsided and ripped off by what should have been a slam dunk at the West Harbor uh, subsidized stadium for the Pan Am Games. And all the Thai Cats had to do was say, yes. yeah, you know what? That sounds all right for us. I think we can do okay. And once they said, no, nah, we're the anchor tenant. That's 10 out of 365 days a year that we need that stadium. And we're going to move to Guelph or whatever the heck it is unless we get I it. I believe it was Moncton. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one week well, it was Moncton. Yeah. Even but Moncton my, didn't want them. That was the right. problem. But my point is, is that that lasted so long and went so many layers deep into the city. Right? Eisenberger's first run. What was he doing? An end around. The guys from Rexall Place in Edmonton wanted it. How come council wasn't told about this? What about this location that I never even saw the location? Someone said, oh, yeah, up on the mountain, there's a parking lot up there. Or wait, over here where the spec is, where McMaster Innovative Park is. I mean, think of all these ones. And, And after all of that energy expended, what did they do? They just turned Path it around. They turned yeah. it around ninety degrees or one hundred eighty degrees, and they put it on the exact same spot. And look at us today, going, but, "What could have been?" But Scott, Mark brings up when Mark brings up Supercrawl. What is the one thing that distinguishes Supercrawl from all these other projects? Private enterprise. Yep, Thank you. That's yes. Right. Politicians. City, was not in, the city wasn't involved except for some permits. They yeah. were Politicians not Politicians did not drive this thing. Right. It yeah. was private enterprise. It was Tim Potasik and it was other people who made this yeah. happen. Yeah. As soon as the province gets its fingers in anything, right. there just seems to be this endless tunnel of negativity and mistake after mistake after mistake. And part of it, I, I think the province owns, but part of it is the what the dysfunctional way our own city hall runs on most occasions. Well, and oh, I, I have to believe that a huge part of that is because when you are doing something like super crawl, and again, I give full credit to Tim Potasik and to the people who have done this, they are building this the way they think it should be built. There are no political considerations no. for what happens if we put this band on the stage. No, it's they're a good band. We're going to do it with this. LRT with the stadium, it's always got to be, well, what if, we, what if we lose votes here? What if the voters don't like this? Mm. And you could, if you're going to do that, you can never decide on anything. Yeah. You can never decide on anything. And there's and too I, much influence from, uh, well, I mean, we, we say private enterprise is a difference, but it, it's also a challenge in some ways. You've got the uh, local chamber of commerce and, and business in downtown. Let's add another stop. Let's add another stop. So now rapid transit becomes, you know, every block we're stopping. It's not so rapid anymore. And Stutter transit. Yeah, stutter transit, yeah. And their influence uh, sways City Hall too much, I think, sometimes. Okay, Mark, let me throw a situation at you, a scenario at you. You tell me if I'm completely out of my mind with this. We are, I don't even know how many months it is away from a provincial election. The Liberals hold out LRT and allow this ongoing foo-for-all to be going on and hold it out as the carrot and say, if you vote for us the next election, you're going to get this. But if the Tories come in, they're going to look at the books and they're going to say, wait a second, we're so far in debt. Mm. We've got to gas the LRT project and Hamilton loses it. So this thing basically becomes, let's hold this thing out. Let's drag this along until we can at least make it an election issue. If you're Kathleen Wynne, 
Because once, and, and then even if the liberals win, I got to believe, I still, the cynical part of me says, even if the liberals win, there's a cynical part of me that says they'll get in afterwards and go, oh, we can't afford a billion now. You know, we got to change some things around. I'm, I'm very, I've become very cynical about this all of a sudden based on this endless indecision and, and complete lack of seemingly any solid direction. I really have. And I, and I don't want to be that kind of cynical, but I, it's, it's turned me into that. You've, you have every right to be a cynical pessimist. A pessimistic cynic. <laughs> really? No, I... Look I, where you've lived for the last how many years. Look at what you've seen has happened to the city. Oh, overlooked for this or that. Downloaded social services. What's the city? One-way streets, not one-way streets, okay? Put a stadium here, there. The love of the Cats. This, oh my God, if we can't please the Cats, what are we going to do? <laughs> I mean, really? Grow up. Because the city needs to grow up. It needs to stop looking over its shoulder saying, I wonder what the voters are going to say about this. And I wonder, we're going to lose, like Scott, we're going to lose votes about this. And what if the Ticats don't like us and move? And God forbid Bob Young goes to Charlotte, North Carolina and says bad things about Hamilton. Come on. Well, we need to, we, honestly. Stop it. Now, the LRT thing, I'm sorry, I couldn't, I know lots of people. Not one person I've spoken to is really engaged with the LRT. They're not really enthusiastic well, about Well, that's it because way. you're not Jerry living. Cook. Yeah, but you're yeah. not living right downtown. There are people who are desperately, desperately dying for the LRT. There's also people who. who? Could, but I haven't seen, I have not who? seen. Businesses well, on King? Businesses no, no, no. on Main? People who live in the downtown, urbanites, urban, you know, people who are, who live in the <clears> core. The right. problem I've seen is I haven't seen, I have not met the person yet. And I'd love to. If you're yeah. if you're that person, send me a note. Radley at nine hundred chml dot com. I have not met the person yet who has changed their opinion on the LRT. If you were against it, you are still against it. If you were for it, you are still for it. Your heels may be dug in further now, but Scott, I have yet to meet the person who has said, "Yes, I have had my opinion swayed and changed, and therefore I am now completely on the other side." Well, I may be that person. Okay, <laughs> I may be that person. You didn't have far to look. No, no, no. Well, that's good. I found the, the one. Yeah, because. Uh, I, I started out as a, an LRT enthusiast, but um, as things have developed, I've become more and more concerned about the whole project. It, it doesn't seem to be uh, well-conceived. It doesn't seem to be uh, well-planned. It doesn't seem to have everyone on board. It seems like there are various factions running in different directions and lobbying for this, that, or the other thing, and no one seems to be in charge of this project. And that's what you need. You, yeah. I believe, and I may be wrong, I'm not a politician, and I understand they have to win votes. But if someone just said, you know what, this is what we're doing. We've studied it. This is what we're doing. And I'll rest my political career on my decision here rather than say, well, but maybe we could do this and maybe we could do this. And maybe yeah. it just becomes silly. It becomes silly. And, and as I say, I've bec- I, was, I have been very much in the middle. I, I've vacillated. I've kind of gone back and forth in a soft way on this. I'm hardened today on this in the last couple of days because it just seems like we're, as Mark said, heading right down the same path towards stadium saga. So and can I don't want plug. Can you pull the plug on it? Can oh. they pull it? Can they say, okay, you know what? Sure, you've gone could. too far here. How much have we already invested? Well, the plans have been made and consulted and all that. Can we cut our losses now by saying, nope, not going to do it? Because that's what they should have done with the stadium issue. Think about it. They should have just, wait, wait, wait a second. Let's just stop right now before we start going off in directions and make promises that we can't keep and end up coming all. Remember we said, as long as it just doesn't come all the way back to, ah, let's just leave it at either win. Remember we all said that? We don't care. We need a new stadium. I don't care where it's built. Just as long as it's not at either win. Just promise me it will not be at either win. Okay, it's our promise. Two years later, folks, 
Ivor win. Well, but not really, Scott, because it's 180 <laughs> degrees and it's shaped a different way, and you're going to have a different view. And of course, the area is going to be much different. There's going to be restaurants, there's going to be hotels, and it's going to be a destination. And we're going to have the Pan Am Games. And now look. Well, look at what they said about Ivor about the new stadium. It had to have mm. highway access. It had yep. to have better signage. It had to have parking. It had to have an and area it has around none it. None of those. None, none of, of the them. criteria. Zero. None of the absolutely right. necessary, mandatory requirements existed. And we're seeing, even though you point out that yeah. the James Street spur is not a big deal, one of the mandatory requirements was that it had to hook up with the GO station. Had to. Had to. That yes. was an absolute unwaivable, unwavering... P- public transit and to now, get to sporting events. You can't, now, you're not going to find parking. You, if, you, if you don't have the parking, you've got to supply... And look, but you no have offense, to do that at the GO station. Shuttle buses, I'm sorry. Well, game day, we've got... Shuttle. Look, I know a lot of fans, right? A lot of fans. They are not going to get on a shuttle bus, Okay. Get to, on the GO train, get on the shuttle bus. They're not going to get, get on, on a the, shuttle bus and say, yeah, oh, the shuttle bus the will LRT, take us to the end. They're not. The... They don't want that. They want to either be able to park their car or take public transit that lets them off at the... You go to BMO Field for a Toronto uh, FC game or an Argos game or whatever. Forget the Argos. They're terrible. It's parking. But it, you yeah. can park. But also, too, you get off the GO train right there mm-hmm. and you walk 600 feet and you're there. Ottawa Transpo. It takes you right to Same the stadium. Same thing. Right down to the stadium. So Why? Well, go to, any, the pro- go to any city. Go to any city. Why? Edmonton, even though their LRT moves right. apparently at the speed of a snail, it right. gets you right to the front door of the new arena. Right. Vancouver, you get the transit and it takes you right, right. to the front door. Right. I, I understand to me, the irony that. of all this is you've got a you've got a airport in Hamilton that you should be servicing. I mean, come on. What a great airport. I've flown out of there. Fabulous. Okay? I never go back to Toronto, but I can't find enough flights. Okay, and now you want to have an LRT, but you're not going to have part. That LRT is not going to go to the airport, right? That now, I know they have it in Toronto, and I know it's expensive as hell, the Up Express. It's the Union Pearson Express. But still, you've got you to find a way to get from downtown to the airport without hitching a ride from somebody, or it costs you 70 bucks in a cab. We that, don't, we don't, sorry, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, that was the line they should have built. Absolutely. That's where the LRT should go. It's we a big city. you got have, an airport, you got a downtown. you got to link the downtown to the airport. we yeah. got to go to a break. But we don't have, obviously, it seems anyway, the politicians either at the provincial level or at the municipal level who will actually stake their political careers on a decision and say, this is what we're doing, this is the right decision, and I will live or die politically with this. We don't have that, and that's the only way, and, and you know, you can disagree with them. But at least you can respect the fact that they're willing to risk what they're doing in their yeah. career on this. We right. don't have anyone. We want everyone to make everyone happy. And when you try to do that, it's nobody is happy. Do we know where every councillor stands on this? Uh, do we well, care? I think we do. But Do we have the most vociferous ones out there saying, look, we have to have the LRT. No, we've got the opposition doing that. We have the opposition doing that, right? <laughs> it, it is the discussion, honestly, it's the discussion that will never end. We do, have, though, have to take a break. We'll be back right after this on The Scott Radley Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. As I say, Mark Hebsher, Scott Urquhart in studio with the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. And uh, guys, um, if we were cranky about the LRT, I don't know if we're going to be continuing to be cranky, but <laughs> I was watching some TV footage today. Of the, I'm out now, back from the Bahamas, and meeting with the great people of Canada in a purely natural setting in Tim Horton stores across this great land of ours with the Prime Minister. And again, I'm sorry if I'm becoming too cynical, but this seems to me to just be the absolutely most ridiculous waste of time and money and effort, Scott. I can't, 
I'm trying hard to believe that maybe something beneficial is coming out of this, and I, I simply can't. It looks to me like such a sham of a performance, that and, and costly performance because yeah. he's got security and all this other stuff. What is going on? Why are we buying this? Why are we letting this happen? It's a bit of a dog and pony show, that's for sure. But and the question really is, why? What? What is? What's to gain? Yeah. What is he uh, aiming for? In Photo these, ops. Uh, yeah. Selfies. I, I mean, is he getting advice from the people? I, I doubt it, really. I hope not. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. No, it, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, and like I say, he comes back from the Bahamas, which was a bit of a, a disaster in terms of public relations with the, the country because of where he went and who he stayed with. But is he trying to make up for that by seeing seeming more of a man of the people after you know living it up with the aga khan I, I don't know i would argue that i would argue against this i would i would mock this no matter what the political stripe was of the person doing it it's a market maybe you disagree but to me it's just an absolutely shameless transparently ridiculous attempt to look like as scott says a man of the people and should he not be governing or doing something prime ministerial he, uh, he's listening to his advisors, right? I mean, that's what you have to do. Oh, Especially yeah. if you're not, you know, I mean, he doesn't, he's not the most experienced politician. So he really has to depend on what his advisors tell him. You know, those pointy-headed people in his office. But are you looking at this saying, wow, he really is getting in touch with the people. I know he'll come back to Ottawa with great ideas to fix all of our problems. Well, I think you have to look at what he's done in the past. Now, think about this. I mean, here's a guy who is not in the country when he sends best wishes and happy holidays and everything. For our 150th. Yep. You know, he's somewhere else. Okay, well, he's entitled to have some time with his family. That's fine. Um, you know, think about the times where it was like, whoa, what's the problem with Russian billionaires hanging out with me? I don't see a problem there. So think of the optics with Trudeau and what his advisors have been saying. You do this. Looks good. It looks good when you're hanging out with you're Chinese good billionaires. You're good at taking people. It's good at hanging out with Chinese people. billionaires. Pick up a baby every once in a while. Kiss the baby, okay? Take your shirt off. You know what I mean? Crash a wedding. So think about this. These are, these are Justin Trudeau's opportunities to be a man of the people. He's a regular guy, you know? If he wasn't the prime minister, he'd have a beer in one hand. He'd be taking a selfie shirtless with the other at somebody's wedding, all right? So beer in one hand, joint in the other, is it? Maybe, yeah. maybe, may well be, right? <laughs> His wife, well, you know, um, how much are we going to give her to decorate the place? And, uh, you know, should she be allowed to, you know, have two nannies and all the stuff surrounding him? The bottom line is, is, is this guy a politician? Can he run the country? Is he making inroads when it comes to things like foreign policy? And so, and the answer is, of course, he's not. He's not. Because the more time he's spending doing these other Mickey Mouse things, to make him seem like a man of the people, the less of a politician he is, the less faith people are going to have in when a really tough decision comes down. Can this guy make the decision, or is he going to go off to the Bahamas and hang with the Aga Khan and send messages and selfies and stuff like that? But really? Scott, in the, in the election campaign, this was gold for him. I'm oh, yeah. not getting the sense that people are sure. buying it the same yeah. way they were in an election campaign. Uh, I don't think, well, Mark uh, said, is he, is he doing anything good? I, I don't think it's, it's quite fair to judge that yet. I don't think that the issues that are going to matter to us much uh, have really come to the surface yet. I don't think decisions have been made on them. I, I was surprised that he approved the uh, two Western pipelines, mm. um, given that he knew he was going to get some pretty serious blowback from that. I don't necessarily think those are bad decisions to be made. 
Western Canada does have to survive, and like it or not, our economy is still driven by resources. And we just talked in the last segment that politicians have to make hard decisions exactly. sometimes. Exactly. So, I mean, that's the one decision he's made. Mm. Uh, other things that are, are going to come down uh, the pipe haven't haven't come to the surface yet, like NAFTA and, and uh, you know, treaty uh, Dealing with the states. Dealing with the states. Dealing yeah. with Trump. Man, oh man. Yeah. He's got his work cut out for him. And we got our work cut out for us, right? Well, I like you. Justin, it- how you got, I, because to me, Trump and Trudeau are similar in that, I mean, with social media, with screen time, I mean, come on. They're not that far apart in a They're lot of ways. They're not at all. <laughs> I mean, they really are not In a at lot all. of ways. I'm not saying I, in every way. I mean, I way. think Trump has more Twitter followers, right? But remember, well, so Justin's only drawing- 300 million yeah, people, exactly. yeah. But I mean, proportionately, <laughs> I'll bet you Justin has the same percentage of Canadians who follow him as- Maybe Americans who follow Trump. I don't know for a fact, but I mean, that says an awful lot. I mean, we're talking about an era now, the last, you know, couple of, uh, of decades, where the, the, um, the prime minister of Canada or the, or the president is, is, a, is a rock star, is well known for everything but being a politician, has more face time. I mean, I mean, come on, Trudeau, I know three or four comedians that do a great Trudeau. On this hour, has 22 minutes. I mean, they're great. Trump, same thing. Alec Baldwin's career has been salvaged by, by Trump. So, I mean, this is the way we look at the politics. The, you're right, Scott. When the time comes that he has to make the really tough decisions, where he's really going to be judged on the decisions he makes politically that have a, a dramatic effect on this country, that's when we'll get down to it. Right now, it's all pan gravy. It's window dressing. Yeah. He hasn't done You're right. And Trump even more so. He's not even the president yet. He, he doesn't have to do anything. D- uh, can... Justin Trudeau, by the way, 2.39 million Twitter followers. Right, which is about what a percentage of a less than about 8%, 7% of Canadians. All Donald right. Trump, 19.8 million Twitter followers. So percentage-wise of his population, Justin Trudeau, Trudeau is actually yeah. ahead. Yeah, better, yeah. yeah. How about yeah. that? Well, he's but, actually ahead. He's That's better true. looking, though, so there you go. He is. He's better looking. You know, I interviewed, <laughs> I interviewed Donald hair. Trump on a couple of occasions years ago when he was the owner of the New Jersey Generals. Yes. And... Uh, he was so, I mean, he was great. He was engaging. You never had to worry. And as you know, as a reporter, both of you guys, there's nothing worse than someone who says stuff but says nothing. And I don't want to mention any names, but his initials are BY. Where you're just like, this is great. I've got an interview with him. And like now after, after the interview, you go, hey, he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything I can think of that I can grab a quote from that I have, you know, I have a soundbite of. Nothing like that. Trump was the opposite. Trump was great, man. He would talk about anything. He'd answer your questions. He'd go off, you know, on a tangent about stuff like that. But he would give you material for your story. Well, as a journalist, that's great. But it's, all, it's a strength and a weakness as a politician, right? right? Exactly. But exactly. back, just let's pull back just for a second to Justin Trudeau. Because my other question about this particular thing that he's doing right now, whether or not you think it's good that he's out with the people or not out with the people, should, if you're going to do a campaign style thing like this, are we okay with the government of Canada and the taxpayers of Canada paying for this, or should be should this be coming from the Liberal Party coffers when you're essentially doing a new, another campaign? You're right. It is it is more campaign than it is actual business of politics. So that could be a legitimate question to be raised. How much it's costing? Who knows? But I think it all comes down to what is the point. You know, if there's a valid reason for it, okay, then maybe I can see uh, spending at least a portion of tax dollars on it. But if it's just uh, glad-handing public relations to her, no. No, do you, thanks. Do either of you believe that when he walks into a Tim Hortons somewhere along the 401 
that the people that he is being presented with have not been screened and questioned and had their security background done? Do you believe for a second that it's a random Mark who's sitting in the Tim Hortons and all of a sudden, hey, look, it's Justin Trudeau and... After dealing with Harper, no, I don't believe... There is no, uh, to me, there is no chance that they have not handpicked these particular people sure. to come and be the ones in front yeah, of him, right. which to me makes it more ludicrous. A campaign More stuff. ludicrous. If it was entirely... If you could say, listen, we're not screening anyone. He's going to meet face-to-face. And you know what might happen? Somebody might get right in his grill and right. berate him with the TV cameras watching, and that will be the main news of the day. Yeah. Then I'm like, okay, all right. All right, but if you have prevented that from happening, it's no longer news. It's propaganda, and that's Liberal Party propaganda. Control just as it would media. be, yeah. just as it would be if it was Stephen Harper last time. It yeah. would be p- conservative exactly. propaganda. Yeah. Control the media. That's the way it is. Look, you know as well as I do that all this guy has to do is f- buy one uh, glass of fourteen dollar orange juice, right? Like Bevoda did, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Oh my God, this spending. Or what's her name? Uh, the 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 liberal senator, Pamela Wallen. Oh, my God, she took three planes to get from Ottawa to her home in Saskatchewan and tried to write it off. I mean, that hasn't happened yet, and hopefully it won't happen. Well, we have a helicopter. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. No, no, you're right. You're right. But, I mean, think about... Go back and think about that. She spent how much on a glass of orange juice? Think of how long that lasted for. That she was the... And then the next picture of her is she's having a smoke. So this is a... Here, this was a liberal cabinet minister, right? She smoking cigarettes and drinking $14 glasses of orange juice in England, staying at a hotel that originally she wasn't going to stay in, but she upgraded herself to this hotel because she's Bevoda, whatever, min- what, what, yeah, whatever yeah. minister she was. Minister, heritage minister, I think yeah. it was, right? So, I mean... Justin Justin could look at all these things and say, as long as I don't do that, I'm okay. As long as I don't do that. And so let it, let it be that they're spending money on propaganda and making it seem like he's a certain kind. Of, that's okay. But at least he's not that spendthrift cabinet. But, cabinet I but he's spending money he's spending behind money. the scenes. But again, yeah. whose money is it? I mean, like, <clears throat> he gets paid a salary. So if he takes out of his salary... To, to buy to, to pay for two nannies, that's okay. No problem. No problem no at problem. all. No. no problem. But is that money, like you say, is that money coming out of the liberal coffers? And the other thing is, is that should part of the thing be saying, and by the way, this message has been fully paid for, right, by the Liberal Party of Canada, yeah. and not a dime of taxpayer money went into making this. I just don't understand, and again, let me stress, we have a liberal government right now, so we're talking about the liberal government that's in there. If this was a conservative government, I would say the same thing. I don't understand how the minute you get into power after being in opposition and pointing out the fact that all these people are doing all these things and spending all this money and doing all these improprieties, the minute you get into power, you forget everything you just said and do the exact things that you were railing on. And it happens with every, Scott, with every Every single party of every stripe Every time, show me the one political party that has gone through a year, one year, maybe two years of non-newsworthy things because someone in that party did something really stupid that they knew the previous party had done, and yet they're doing it anyway. I don't get it. I just can't believe they can be that stupid, and yet they make me wrong every time because they are. <laughs> they are. I don't, yeah. I don't understand. I really don't. I just don't understand how that happens, and yet it never fails. It and is. here we are again. You're right. It is. Uh, it leaves you wondering. Okay, what is the purpose here? And I'm I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking uh, the purpose is not necessarily to maintain power, but to maintain a status quo for 
another agenda. Yes. Well put. Say that, so, okay, explain right. that better. You got, well, you got one minute. Explain okay. that better. I, I understood perfectly what he yeah. said. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Politicians aren't acting in our interest. They're acting in the interests of business and commerce and the agenda that's set by globalism and the world trade. That's the agenda that they're working towards. That I understand. But what I don't understand is how in the interests of proceeding with that agenda, you must find ways to spend money that isn't yours or spend it improperly or not follow your own party's guidelines. That's the part I don't understand. I get what you're saying. Well, that but, part doesn't matter, though. I mean, if you're that's if that's not part of your agenda, the spending money, t- tax dollars, spending our tax dollars, we don't give a shit about that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't care about that. Yeah. Got the buzzer on. Uh, <laughs> if this but, were a podcast, you wouldn't have to worry about yeah, it. But, you know, that's not what we're worried about. We're worried about a, a different, bigger agenda that has nothing to do with petty little tax dollars spent on orange juice or Tim Hortons trips right. or whatever. It's the big stuff. As long, big stuff. as long as we don't make it too bad. It's the big stuff. We're okay. Yeah. Quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. Back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. I pulled into my parking spot today, I don't have a parking spot, my parking lot at the Spectator this morning, and I'm not going to hang in there with the dry because I honestly don't know who it was, but what I wanted to know was this, and you guys, I'm sure everyone listening has dealt with this and you guys have dealt with this. What is the appropriate response, if any, to a driver in a full or nearly full parking lot who is unable to drive their car within the white line, so they are now parking on two spots. Not, not, <laughs> not the Hummer driver who's intentionally doing it. The one who's just hanging over the line enough so you can't get in. Is it, is it kosher to leave a note on their window and say, smarten up, dummy? Or, I mean, we're not going to talk about keying the car or anything like that, but, Scott, is there any appropriate response to the idiot driver that can't find their way into a parking spot. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sanguine about the whole thing. It's <laughs> to me that well, that's life. You know that there are some You're people, okay yeah, with that. Th- it's not that I'm necessarily okay with it. It's just that there's nothing really I can do about it. This guy's not going to become a better driver overnight. You know, I can leave all the notes I want, but chances are next week it's going to do the same thing in a different parking lot. So you got to sort of accept to some extent that life is life and stuff like that's going to happen. You know, you I am, you use a word that I have never used applied to Mark Hebsher, and that is sanguine. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, what do you do when you there's one spot left and some idiot driver has decided to park and hang over the edge so you can't get in properly? I used to be like you, Scott. I used to seek revenge immediately, slam my hands on the steering wheel. Now? Audibly, just, you know, anything to to show my frustration. Now it doesn't bother me anymore, and here's why. I realize that there are people in this world that have way bigger problems than I do. I don't know what they are, but I assume when someone parks that way that they've just had such a bad day. Like, for example, here's what I think. Number one, they lost their phone. When you lose your phone, you're not thinking straight. You're not thinking straight, man. You're like, I lost my phone. That's number one. Number two is somebody in the – there's – somebody really sick or really ill in the family that has really just sort of taken over this person's day. You know what I mean? A parent that's sick, a child that's sick, the boss that's driving. Something's just got them off their thing. So I chalk it up to this. They're not idiots. They're not doing it on purpose. They're just having a really bad day. And hopefully I'll understand that because one day, Scott, I will park my car in two spots. I I won't mean to do it, but I'll do it. 
because I was just having a really bad day. Like I've lost my this phone. This is a new yeah. Mark Hebshaw. Yeah, 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 for sure. But in the past, yeah, I would get really upset about it and think I'll feel better if I let this frustration boil over and I just say what's on my mind. The other part of it is you don't know what that driver faced when he pulled into the parking That's lot. That's true. Maybe the other cars were That's not, true. Oh, I never think part, that way. <laughs> part terribly. And, Mark, right. and with Mark's yeah. points, look, if, yeah. I'm, if I have to go to a hospital, for example, and someone has done that, oh, absolutely. You, you have no idea what might mm-hmm. be. Someone may have yeah. to rip in there right. because someone... My, my favorite maneuver, which I've taken to lately, um, not to sound entirely cruel or entirely, you know, Mark has now made me feel shame, quite frankly, for, uh, <laughs> for this, is to pull in on their driver's side as close oh, yeah, as to close the driver's as door yeah, as humanly yeah, nice. possible. So that, that, they, You'll get your car keyed, though, for that. You see, that's Well, no, they, they couldn't because they actually couldn't get in close enough to key it. <laughs> it there's two inches between my door and their right. door, and uh, you just got to make sure you don't knock off their side mirror, but... Uh, no, I, I, I gotta tell you, like it just, it's, it's one of those things. If I'm, if I'm in a place where I know that they're like a hospital, okay, but it worked today. There was, no, there was no reason. There was no reason they could not have, or when they got out of their car, they would not have realized. Wait a second, what? what? I'm sorry. Maybe, the, maybe, maybe I'm just cruel. Maybe you guys are just way much nicer than me and way more sanguine. The other one that drives drives me more crazy than that are the are the people whose cars are so special that they have to park diagonally across two spots. Okay, so what do you do with them? I just they're throw, not doing it by accident. I just throw up my hands and go, jerk. Right, you know. <laughs> there you go. And they're having a bad day. Yeah, but it's not. It's like if someone cuts you off. Do you really think that they went? There's Scott Radley. I'm going to cut that SOB off. No, it's not a personal thing. It wouldn't matter who was driving the car that you were in. It's that person that has the issue, the one that cut you off. They don't hate you, right? They don't hate the world. They don't hate sports writers. They don't hate guys with. They they don't. It didn't matter. It's their problem. The only driving infraction. The only driving infraction that I get upset about, I'll be honest, because that doesn't, because I know I've done it to people too, right? You've cut I mean, people off. I've, you accidentally and you're you don't that realize. They're going to go, oh, you know, he's just having a bad day. That Let him go. Infraction Let him go. never bothers me. The only infraction that drives me nuts is people who are sitting three inches off my back bumper, because that is a preventable one, yeah. right? And yeah. that's being a jerk. Yeah. If you make a, a driving mistake. It happens all the time when you're driving to Toronto. The closer you get to Toronto, is proportionate to how close the car behind you That's is true. to your, your back bumper. bumper. Yeah. It's true. Think about it. If you're in Burlington, man, you got four or five Chevrons. You got, you know, tons. My wife is calling me right now. She <laughs> Montreal is worse, though. She's wondering, you know, when did this new and improved Mark <laughs> Hebsher show up? <laughs> I'm, I'm on the air yeah. right now. I, did, I had to drive. Well, I was driving one time to Brantford, and I ended up with a transport truck. So close behind me the whole way that all I could see was his front grill. And I thought, if I tap my brakes, right. I am going to be you're a pancake. Dead, yeah. And that one... That's right. Again, I, 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 I cannot honestly say that I had deep and abiding love in my heart for that driver when he escaped <laughs> off the exit. Okay, I'm going to tell you yeah, something. We got one, try, well, this right and try this, try this. Next time you're headed on the QEW towards Toronto, yes. leave yourself more than you normally would between you and the car in front of you and try not to hit your brakes. See how long you can go without hitting your brakes. And I guarantee you, if you keep enough distance between the car, you and the car in front of you, and hopefully nobody cuts in front of you to take that space, you will not have to hit your brakes nearly as often. And if everyone did that, we wouldn't have this stop and go nonsense. The reason is because everyone's on everyone else's tail. So as soon as the person in front of you taps their brakes, you have to tap your brakes. This is, this is, we got to go to break. This is a new and moderated and <laughs> soft Mark Hebsher. Who's sanguine even. Sanguine. <laughs> well, you know what? Who's only out for yoga. the well-being of all hot the rest yoga. of the population. Hot yoga helps. <laughs> Quick break. Back after hot this on the Scott Radley yoga. Show. <laughs> 
You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. There was a story that we talked about earlier this week on the show. Paul Burton of the Hamilton Spectator joined me to chat about this. And I want to take it to you guys because you guys are also journalists. You've worked on TV and journalism for a long time. Uh, We saw the story this week about BuzzFeed releasing this alleged some kind of document that allegedly existed that it seems now that we don't really know what, if anything, is true because it's all been so modeled. No one has any idea whether there's any truth to this or no truth to this. But here's the here's the question that came out of this whole thing. BuzzFeed's answer was, if in doubt, publish. Paul Burton, when he was on earlier this week, says that is antithetical to what every journalist, every real journalist would believe. But, Scott, are we just in a different time journalistically? Are we now, when we're seeking clicks and when the it seems the the barometer or at least the requirements for what people will believe is different is it is it okay now just to say listen here's the stuff you decide well coincidentally i just put out a post this afternoon uh involving that very thing and um on irkfreelance.com freelance.com yes and uh, yeah paul burton is absolutely right it it was absolutely wrong to do that and one of the reasons why i'll tell you why is because it simply promotes the perception out there that all news is fake, that you can't tell what's true and what's not true. And it could also promote the position that all news is real and all news is valuable, even if it's not exactly no, true. No, I disagree it's worth, with you. It's up to you to decide what's real or not. Especially in this case, I disagree with you because BuzzFeed, in in its own posting, said right off the top there are inaccuracies in this. A lot of it's unconfirmed. If that's the case. It shouldn't go out to people because we can't divine what is accurate, what isn't accurate, what is real or not real. And that is just promoting false news. It's easy to write off the entire thing at that point when some of it may in fact be true. We well, don't and know. That, that does create a problem for, let's use BuzzFeed as the example. Next time BuzzFeed comes out with a huge scandal story, whether it's about Donald Trump or someone else, you're going to have a lot of people say, uh, even if it's completely true now, I don't believe it. No, it creates a problem not just for BuzzFeed. It creates a problem for the media in general because these are the news sources of this generation. A lot of it comes off digital media. And I think, uh, in a way, the election of Trump and, and what's happened with his relationship to the media in the last month or so may be the best thing that's happened to journalism since Edward R. Murrow. And I'm not saying that because I think... This is great. We're going to have wonderful stories to tell about this buffoon. That's not why I'm saying it. I'm saying it because he is going to force mainstream media to pull up their socks and do actual journalism again. Mark, whether you and I'm not whether you agree with Donald Trump philosophically in general or don't, and I think I could guess. Do you though blame him entirely for his reaction at the press conference when he basically started calling out members of the media and saying to CNN specifically, no, I'm not answering your question. Do you blame him for that position? Not in the least bit. To me, it would be if I'm in his position to say, you know what, you've got allegations. You use the word rumor. I hear this all the time, especially in sports. Well, there's a rumor going around. Well, once you've said the word rumor, then that means it hasn't, it's not fact. It hasn't been corroborated. And whoever decided to throw it out there, and you know as well as I do, Scott, Give me the off season for baseball. No one's talking baseball. Throw a name out there. 
Andrew McCutcheon. Okay, let the rumors begin. Yeah, we got a story right? now. We got a story. Jays now. want Andrew so McCutcheon. Then why, Great. So then, why couldn't the same thing happen in news where someone says, "Well, let's just throw this out there. Let's just see what happens with that. Let's see how he reacts to it." And Donald Trump's absolutely right in this case, and that is, wait a minute, your news organization said this. Prove it. And by prove it, he means, and this is the old journalistic way, it's quite simple, unless you've got an impeccable source, impeccable. More than one. No, no, but th- no, no, what I'm saying to you is, is, for example, if someone dies and their loving wife says to you, he died, that's an impeccable source. You don't need to go to the funeral director and say, look, I just heard from the wife that so-and-so died. Can you confirm that? But if that, you hear it at the barber shop. But if you hear yeah. it at the barber shop from the barber and he goes, I just heard so-and-so died, you can't go with that. You have to find that second independent source to confirm it, to corroborate it. And if you can't, and you go, you know, the barber's a pretty good source, and he usually is right most of the time, that's still not enough. And that's not even no. what happened in this case. That's not even in what happened. In this case, what they said is, the barber told me something. I don't really think it's true, but I tell you what, let's let the public decide if it's about true. It. And yeah. that, to me, I understand. I, and I, listen, 100% I, I'm, wrong. I'm playing devil's advocate here, yeah. but I believe 100% that it was entirely wrong. It's right. in, What they did is entirely wrong. But you and I, all both of you and I, understand that if you go out into the public, right. not everyone agrees with that. Because one of the things we'll say is, you are now saying that the journalists and the journalism community are uniquely positioned. And only you feel you're capable of telling us what is true or what isn't. Give us the stuff and we'll sort right. through it. Why is that not right? Because journalists are required to go and corroborate their sources, attribute their sources, tell you where they got the information from, and then you have a reasonable ground or basis to decide whether this is credible Mm -hmm. or not credible. Most average people don't have the resources to go out and and question, uh, you know, the general uh, at the Pentagon or, you know, whatever. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's that's what journalists do. We have those sources. We go to them. We corroborate corroborate the information. And that's what we should do. And I think it's a I think it's a, a situation where modern mainstream media is going to be forced to return to its roots. We got sloppy. And Mark, as you know. Uh, in the newsroom we used to work for, mentioning no names, um, we were often encouraged to run with information that we did not have corroboration for that might have been a rumor. And the the sort of thinking behind it was it's okay if it's not correct because later on if we find we're wrong – we can just update the story, and it's evolving. The story is evolving. Well, let's right? okay. Let's go there for a second. That's I don't. Okay. I don't. He, made, he makes a very good point there, and that is that if it comes down to you know we're not sure, but boy, if we run with it, it's going to make a heck of a story, and people will watch, or they'll read, or they'll be engaged. That takes the case. When okay, I, is what, this different though? Let me ask you because let's go to the TV situation because you guys have both been there. Let's say you go to the eleven o'clock news. The news is coming on, and one of your reporters is live on the scene of a house fire where mm-hmm. someone has died. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they hear somebody say, it's believed the fire was arson. Or, so, is it, imp- is it wrong for them to say in some way that there is a thought out there or there has been a suggestion that there is arson? No, you have to qualify it, though. 
and that that's it. You you have to say um, there have been suggestions that this may be arson. We haven't confirmed that yet, and the fire marshal has not investigated. Right, or so we or, don't know. Or you say there's been allegations of arson. We asked the, this would be the clip on television. We asked the Claudio We asked the spokesperson for Hamilton Fire whether that was a possibility, and then they run the clip of the guy saying, "Well, that has not been confirmed." And at this point, I would uh, I would caution against anyone uh, making any assumptions or a leap that it was arson, something like that, that qualifies it, like you say. But, but, for, but nowadays, reporters, many of them feel, and maybe they're told by their bosses, that it's okay to maybe editorialize. Mm-hmm. That it's okay to maybe make an assumption, take a bit of a leap. You know, to get your because of course your audience are a bunch of dum dums. They don't know, but you know they what? believe everything you say. But so. you're right, Mark. And the and the problem is, I don't believe that BuzzFeed. And again, going back to their who story, who owns BuzzFeed, by the way? I can't remember who owns I'm it. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. But but it is partially owned. It's like 25 percent owned by CNN or by someone like yeah, that. But, I can't but, remember. but come on, but Scott, how many people have said to you, "Hey, Scott, look, I heard this in the New York Times. No. I'm not sure, but I got it confirmed by BuzzFeed." No, but so my <laughs> point is though, BuzzFeed. I don't think they suffer any kind of penalty by this because people are willing and likely and are in, in, they generally will believe what they want to believe. And so if you hate Donald Trump, right. you will believe this story. And so when Donald Trump and his people say, no, this is a made-up fake my story, point, though, Scott. then you say, look, BuzzFeed is a, leg- is a credible source, and therefore I'm going to go back to BuzzFeed. What BuzzFeed did here, and I've said their name now 15 times, which is only helping them, I yeah. understand that. But the reality is, if you hate Donald Trump, they are now, even if it's 100% wrong, people are going back to that site because they got what they wanted there. But that's how we got to this situation, by all of this, uh, you know, pseudo news being pushed out onto the air where nothing was clearly true or false. And some of it was fake news, but you couldn't tell the difference between what was real or what was not real. There was no sort of baseline no place to go where you could say, I know that this information is true and accurate and I could trust it. And it got to that situation. And so people decided like, well, you can't trust anybody. I'm going to trust who I think is telling me the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's confirmation bias. And that's how we got there by sloppy journalism and and the failure to follow the rules. And I agree with you mostly, but I think you're missing one little bit. I think we're not necessarily going where we think people will tell us the truth. I think we're going where we think people will echo our beliefs. Exactly. Mm. So they are only telling us what we want to hear. Of course. No, we I d- agree with that. We don't want if to read something. If you watch Fox News in the States, you know what you're going to get. You're and if you go to MSNBC or CNBC. Because they think yeah. the same way as you do. And how and crazy that, that Fox comes to the defense of CNN. I know. Like, where are we in this world that, you know, lambs lie down with lions and uh, cats and dogs are friends? You know, it's... it's. And yet, you know what? I got to tell you, I, I, I'm with Mark on this one. While Fox did come to CNN's defense, if I was Donald Trump, I would have probably said the exact same thing to CNN. Until you're willing to show that you are not going to simply echo rumors that some other scurrilous organization decided to put out there, and then you said, well, because it's out there, we can now repeat it. No, they they, they actually... There was went the extra mile to say um, that this was a, a report that was in question. Uh, a two-page briefing had been handed to the president. They reported 
what had actually happened and that they had confirmation of. They didn't go into the allegations, what they were, the salaciousness of the whole thing. They didn't touch on that. They just said there is a report that has been handed to the president that suggests he may have been compromised by the Russians. Absolutely true. All right. Let me ask you one more thing on this topic. Uh, Probably that that uh, website that we keep talking about <laughs> will be seeking, because most of them do now, if they consider themselves a genuine news source, will be seeking White House access to White House briefings. Hmm. Would the White House be belittling or preventing freedom of expression and freedom of the press if they said, we'll give it to everybody else, but you're not getting one? Because of this, would that be, would that, would you object to that as a journalist, if a site that has shown to be careless with facts, if they were not, if they were denied a pass? Do we know for a fact that what they wrote was false? We don't, but we do know, we do know that they were, if it wasn't false, they've lucked into that. It was not by good journalism. Hang on a second. If, if I knew, Scott, that my news organization was going to get beat to the punch by your news organization because you had the same information as me and maybe a little bit more. And you were about to go to press or you were about to go to air with a story that was going to knock me and my organization on their ass. What would you do? Would you say, you know what, we better take a chance right here? That's because here's what, this is what I've heard from several sources is that what BuzzFeed wrote was not false, right? They just didn't have all the facts. And there are a couple of reporters who are basically saying, you know, this is true. There is more than one source that suggests, not suggests, but has information, critical information, that the president-elect was compromised by the Russians. They're not revealing any details because they're still working on their story. And they're not going to publish that story until they've got it right and accurate with the correct sources. So what BuzzFeed did was they beat the BBC to the real story. The BBC will have all the information. And when the time comes and when their bosses say, okay, now you can publish it, or only now can you air it, now that we've covered all of our bases and it's journalistically correct and it's balanced. Now, BuzzFeed got the the initial information and said, Jesus Christ, we better run with this now and take our chances. And that's what I believe happened. They got whipped for it. They got whipped. And and deservedly so. And, you know, it used to be the the standard maxim was get it first, but get it right first. And then it became get it first, whether you're right or wrong. Whether you're right or wrong. And that that was a huge mistake, I think. And let me me tell you, in Hamilton, okay, the Hamilton Spectator does not have competition when it comes to a story that they're working on. CHCH Television does not have competition. There's nobody going, oh, we better get this story out there real quick or else this other station is going to take it from us. Unlike in Toronto where the newspapers and the TV and radio are battling each other, it doesn't happen here. So it can be very, it easily become very lax when you don't have someone, a competitor breathing down your neck. And at CHCH many times, Scott and I have talked about this a million times before when we used to have a desk in the same room. Look at the stuff that they're putting on the air that's passing as news. Yeah. But I go back to what Scott said, and that is that when you do this, even if you, even if the blind squirrel that gets a nut every once in a mm-hmm. while, if you are using the the motto of "if in doubt, publish," you are asking for the disaster for disaster and for oh, the credit sure. and for the credibility of everybody to go right down the tube so no one knows what to believe. Because you're right, Mark. They could once in a while put mm-hmm. something out that they haven't checked and, whoa, look at that. It turned out to be right. Hey, Scott, if you worked for BuzzFeed and I worked for the BBC and I knew that you guys were monitoring us and I said, hey, we've got a story. We can't publish it yet, but 
oh, is this a big one? It's about Trump and the Russians. But I can't tell you anything. Click. What are you going to do? You're going to go to your boss at BuzzFeed and go, I just got this call from a very credible source. But that makes you no different than like TMZ. Right. Exactly. Exactly right. And that's what and it what devolved I was, into. And I dropped the story on you because I, I know that you guys are going to run with this because you guys are a bunch of rumor mongers who all you need is one half of a source with no corroboration. And that's good enough. Let's just go. I got to be honest that um, I know that that's where we are with some of this stuff today, but it scares me to death. It really does, because not only does it affect journalism and that affects us, but it affects the public. If you as Joe Public, you and I and everyone else, if we pick up a paper or watch a TV station and we get to the point where we can't determine that that is true or not true, but we have to just put our faith out there that maybe it probably is. And if we believe that it is, then it may be we got a big problem because then how do you... We, we probably are, but how do you keep track of politicians? How do you keep track of big industries? How do you keep track of all these groups that we are supposed to be or the media is supposed to be keeping tabs on and keeping a spotlight on mm-hmm. if you don't know what to believe anymore? We get to the point where those places, those groups can all just say, nope, not true. And, and everyone who believes them says, no, it's not true. And everyone, Woodward and Bernstein, if they were living today with Watergate, the Nixon White House would simply say, that's not true. And half the public would say, huh, it's not true. And he'd still be in office. Now, the difference is that Woodward and Bernstein did it the right way. They got source after source after source after source, and they didn't print until they knew that what they were uh, saying agreed. was absolutely uh, 100%. accurate. But that was a different day, boy. That was a different era. That's when journalists were well paid to do a fantastic job, and there was a battle between news organizations to get the best journalists. And it's not like that anymore. But Scott, you're it's exactly right. It's not like right. that anymore. You're we exactly don't do that right. kind of journalism They anymore. are doing all that kind of testing. But if we have been conditioned to not know whether any of it is true, even if it's well-researched, we will have a natural cynicism and skepticism and say, yeah, I, I, I'm uh, not. And I'm agreeing with you. I, I'm, like I'm that, saying you know. we're there. That's well, happening. There. Like that. That's scary when you think that people are going, you know what? You may be a credible news organization, but I don't believe a word you're saying. I don't agree with the philosophy or the political bent, and therefore, I don't agree. I don't right. believe I the don't. story. Right. Go away. Quick break after this. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Interesting story this week that uh, once again comes up because we hear this all the time. Jane Fonda, Hanoi Jane, shows up in Canada this week uh, to tell us, to to preach to us, to instruct us not to build any more oil lines uh, because such a thing is wrong and immoral and really, um, you know, you can't do this. Now, the interesting part and what a lot of people pointed out was Jane Fonda flew up here on a private jet and uh, took a second (laughs) plane to get to where she was, which all burned gallons and hundreds of carbon footprint things of whatever. Right. Um, and we hear this all the time. We have Leonardo DiCaprio, who owns like nine houses and private yachts and planes, and John Travolta, who owns five or yeah. six planes. Fleet of aircraft, yeah. All preaching about yeah. the environment. Al Gore, who lives in like the biggest house in Tennessee and on and on. Is it, should we say to the, or should we take from these celebrities, you know, they, they live a different life, but they're trying to do the right thing. And so we, yeah, we'll listen to you. Or should we say, you know what, when you want us to follow your advice, set the example first, and then we may actually listen, but until then, shut your mouth. Right. Jane Fonda should have gone up there on dog sled, right? (laughs) Showed up and said, you know what, I didn't use one gallon of fuel 
I didn't do any of this type of thing to show you how serious I am about the, re- the resistance of the pipeline. Could she but not it, have done it by Skype or yeah, by... Yeah, she could have. But instead, what happens is, is that... And listen, if this was Jane Fonda from the 60s, Barbarella... Barbarella. I'm there yeah. in two seconds with a camera. I'm asking <laughs> her every possible question except for the pipeline. But Jane Fonda is an old, withered, has-been of an activist, okay, who, in the hopes of getting Still a couple of cameras... Still looks pretty good for 79, yeah, Which I'll is fine. You. But come on, you can't tell me that uh, that the uh, assignment editors were going, get out there and get Jane Fonda, right? Like, she's not, it's not that big a deal, right? It was so a if bigger it was deal. on Skype, no one would have paid attention. Probably not. But I mean, the whole point is, is that if this is what it takes, you've got to get a pseudo-celebrity or a has-been or a whatever to get out there to get your message across so that the media is going to show up, That's a dog. that to me is a dog and pony show. That is a dog and pony. Jane Fonda? That's the but, best you can do? Okay, well, Leonardo DiCaprio brings up his fleet of SUVs to go to the UN and do you want to hear a great, everybody. Listen, listen, Leo, I want to tell you something. Uh, uh, my cousin lives in Manhattan. They're renting a place in Manhattan, okay? Leo DiCaprio is their next-door neighbor. Leo DiCaprio wants to take the apartment that my cousin is in right now. He wants to buy that so that his rooftop patio, the one that over from him that my cousin is living in now... That cannot be occupied by any strangers, which means that no one can see Leo DiCaprio on his rooftop. The only people that can't happen to be my cousin. So there was a knock on the door, not from him, but from his agent saying, "Um, we'd like to, we want to buy this place. He wants to have the whole building. He wants to have the top floor. That's environmentally friendly. Yeah. Right. And they're looking at him going, are you kidding me? How much money do you have to have? And apparently he has so much money. So much money that it's absurd that it's like, yeah, I'm buying this and that. And I, I need another jet. But I need another Sikorsky well, helicopter. I'll, I'll give Jane Fonda credit because uh, she went to North Dakota in the middle of nowhere and in winter and, uh, you know, stood up for that. And yeah, good for her. That, that was not an easy thing to do. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, my, my whole problem with this is um, I, I, have a, I have a problem with the carbon footprint thing. And, and it's not that I, I am to deny global warming. I am not denying that the planet is warming up at all. And, you know, anything to clean, clear the air up is, is great as far as I'm concerned. I'm all for it. But Canada is in a negative position when it comes to carbon loading simply because of the vast open stretches and huge forests we have in this country. We're, we're absorbing more carbon than we're putting out. And yet here we are about to pay... God knows how much in taxes for carbon. And, and to me, it, it makes no sense. I, I, I honestly, maybe I'm stupid. I just don't understand it. I know environmentalists will be ready to kill me. But, you know, uh, it makes no sense to me. I can never understand why the celebrities that want to preach to us about the environment never actually end up in China, let's say, where the pollution levels are astronomical. Why, why is it Canada and the United States that are getting preached at, not the places, not India, not China, not places where you can really make a difference? And, it, and it, halfway it suggests to me that all this is is enhancing your brand. We're not really worried about this. This is a way for us to look good and lead the world lead the world do something meaningful where people care about us. But We're not Stephen Harper anymore. But wouldn't you like to hear, for example, right? Well after the fact, you know, you didn't know this, but Bono went to China 
wore an oxygen mask. Not one member of the media knew he was there or recognized him. And he spent whatever number of hours doing the right thing. We would never, we'll never, we'll never hear that story, which means we'll never be able to credit Bono with being the kind of guy that we want him to be, a human being that cares about Even humanity. Even if we heard about that, that after, though, Mark, I'd be okay if we heard about that. Oh, you know what, right. three months ago. But someone you're not said- going to hear about it because there were no media present. So we'll, we'll never know. So to me, it's kind of like the guy who, well, you don't know about this, but he's a wonderful philanthropist. Well, how do you know? Well, I found out. No, it's the ones that you never, after they're, they're dead, you find out. That they did all these wonderful things and didn't want any credit. They didn't want any publicity for like it. Like Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, yeah, there's a great example, right. But so, so that means the opposite is, is that when a celebrity says, well, I'm going to go do this, their PR firm is going, well, we've got to let people know. We've got to let people know what a fabulous person you are. What a, we have to let them know. So there's that balance there. So are we better off with Jane Fonda saying, I'm not going. I'm not going because the media is just going to make fun of me. Or let her go, and if the media happens to be there, at least she's trying her best. Or should she just? So what do, do you say? What's the answer? Which I is better? Say, I say do what's in your heart. Okay, but and do if you're you... trying to curry public favor at the same time, it's going to backfire. On no, you. I think she's. It is in her heart. I think she sincerely right. believes. But this, I think right? if she cur- if people think she was trying to get publicity, right? Publicity for her in her next movie. Or publicity for the <laughs> on Golden being, Pond too, or no. for being an activist. <laughs> and Lily Tomlin. What's the, the show they were doing? I can't remember the name. Oh, of the show, uh, Barney and Heavy and Levy yeah, and whatever Harry and Sally, or yeah, yeah, whatever it was, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, again, so I mean, if it's someone who's famous, do they have an agenda, or is it strictly look? I just want to, I want to eradicate. Uh, um, I want to eradicate this disease, or I want to okay, stop that. Fair enough. But if you are one of these celebrities that lives the life that is not environmentally friendly, Right? should you be out there preaching to everyone else to be environmentally friendly? Al Gore, I remember one time when Al Gore was in the middle of the Inconvenient Truth Tour and all this, mm-hmm. and someone went and took a picture of his house, and every flipping light in, in the, the place. entire right. place, yeah. and right. it's a huge place. Right. Yeah. Every, you can find that picture on the internet yeah. in a snap. You yeah. can see it from space. Yeah. His house <laughs> and the Great Wall of China were the only <laughs> things visible. Hypocrite. And Clark Griswold's house right. were the only thing you could see. No, it's, but if you're going to live that kind of life, yeah. should you just say, you know, I may believe it, but I, I can't be out there telling other people to do this? Yeah. yeah well, so look at Schwar- here, Schwarzenegger, okay, drives a Prius, or did, you know, when... Uh, now he used to drive what the Hummer. Happened to seven he Hummers. Hummers. Right, he used to drive the Hummer, and then he said, and then so this was beautiful. It's like I drove a Hummer, <laughs> and now I switched. I've switched over. I like the idea for the LRT for Hamilton, and I like a Prius. <laughs> I mean, how how do you do a flip flop like that? I, I understand someone becomes a vegetarian because when they were a meat eater, they were sick all the time, or they were overweight, and they had high blood pressure and cholesterol, and they've decided, you know what, I'm going to become a vegetarian. That's great for you. But you can't tell me that you drove that big Hummer all those times, and now you've switched to a Prius, and we're supposed to believe now that you've seen the light, okay? <laughs> that you want to open up your doors to everyone, that there are no people lights are on. Hey, come on. People can change. See, I don't, yeah, mind, can, I don't mind Arnold preaching to us about driving a, a hybrid if he is, in fact, living that that's life. That's my yeah. point. If he's, in fact, living that life. So if we assume that Jane Fonda is living that life, we believe her. But it's all someone has to say is, how many planes did it take her to get there? How much fuel? And that's it. Credibility gone. 
she had to have either snowshoed or taken a dog team to get to North Dakota <laughs> no, for everyone to go. You know what? She's serious and, about and this. And no, and I don't even buy, I don't even go that far because I would say, listen, if she took a if she thought this was serious and she wanted to do it and took even first class on a commercial flight, no, I would be I would say okay. I mean, you have to get there somehow. No, you have to get there. But if you take a private jet that's no. just going to spew stuff into the atmosphere for you only for you only, and then you say it's really important to have the environment looked after. That to me is where it's wrong. You have to get around. You exactly. have to travel. Hundred percent. So I, I, was she wearing a fur coat too? Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I didn't look. I didn't check. Because yeah, I like pulling out that shot in Barbarella where she sort of has that fur bikini on, going, "Oh yeah, this was Jane Fonda back then, <laughs> yeah. right? Come on." I don't know. I, the, the, to me, the absolute leader of this whole thing is every time I see Leonardo DiCaprio looking like the third world banana republic dictator with the beard and the ponytail and yeah. the United Nations giving his talk. And it's like, sorry, you're leaving here to fly over to the Mediterranean to get on your private yacht that you're going to be traveling all around. And, and, and I'm sorry, what are, yeah. and you're preaching to third world countries that are just trying to feed their people. And what are you saying? That, again, to me, it's like if you, even if you make a good effort to live the life, I, as a, if you're a celebrity, I will, whether it's environment or whether it's anything else, I'll listen to you. If you're trying your best within reason to live what you're telling us to do, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's when you're showing no willingness and no thought about it, but you still think people should listen to you just because. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're special just because. <laughs> That's when I say, come on, what are you doing? But they're out there. Oh, yeah, for sure. All the time. Sure we're out there. We're always here. We saw Lover or Hater. We saw Meryl Streep, and she was, I thought, one of the least, whether you, you know, however you think about it, one of the least offensive people. Because so many times now they get up for these award shows, and it's got to be a speech about this or that or the other. Never just, thanks for the award. See you mm-hmm. later. It's always got to be something now that you're going to tell the world to follow in my footsteps or do this or do that. Come on. You're entertainers. I'm not watching you for politics. I'm watching you for entertainment. Right. The greatest was when George C. Scott sh- didn't show up to win to take his Academy Award for Patton. And the reason he gave was, is that how can you possibly compare my work in this film about this genre with someone else uh, on a, a completely different project with a completely different theme? How do you make that comparison and choose me to win and that person no? So that, that, that's what the grounds were that he didn't accept his Academy Award for. Like, that's the opposite. Like, dude, you were great in Patton. Come up and accept the award. The runners-up won't be mad at you because the film they were in was a different genre or wasn't about a famous genre. So to me, that was... The, but the leading that was actor as, in Gigi right. was really good. But that's, <laughs> a, but that's as ludicrous as... Like, to me, like, look... I'm sure Meryl Streep is a fine person, a fine individual. But had Meryl Streep not had the body of work that she had in the film industry, nobody would go, oh, well, we have to listen to Meryl Streep. So, I mean, it would be like, for example, Springsteen gets up there and says, hey, this is, these are all the things I believe, and you should do all of these things. And everyone's going to go, well, he, he's Springsteen. It's the boss. He makes great music, which means that his political views and his philosophical views must also be as great as the music that he produced. Not necessarily. You're really, really good at one thing. We're all really good so at one thing. So stick with that thing. You're a yeah. great actress. Yeah. Meryl, you're a great actress. That's great. But I don't know how much of that great acting came through on that speech there. How much of it was really great acting, compelling, having the audience in the palm of your hand. As a- and how much of it was a real, the real Meryl Streep, the off-screen Meryl Streep, the Meryl Streep who when the cameras aren't rolling, is this who we were talking about? And that's where I kind of got my thing. Like, you got your chance here. 
This is some great acting. You are a great actress. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Here is your quiz answer for this evening. We asked you what song it was that Johnny Cash was singing and who was singing it. It was one by U2. Jacob, who knew the answer to this one tonight? We have 18 right answers tonight. We got Terry, Cindy, Dan, Joe, Zach, Brad, Chris, Jackie, Peter, Jim, Helen, David, Frank, Jesse, Lynn, Chris, Greg, Tracy, and Leslie. You know, there is not that I've found yet a Johnny Cash song, or a song that Johnny Cash could not make, if not, in, not if not great, then certainly interesting. Johnny Cash made almost everything sound, well, very Johnny Cashy, quite honestly. You, know, you can always tell, but the song he did right at the end of his life when he did Nine Inch Nails, Hurt. Yeah. One of the great cover songs, honestly, one of the great cover songs ever, ever, by anybody. And Johnny Cash was, by the looks of the video, barely alive when he did that. Yeah. But... Mark Hebsher, Scott Urquhart, thank you guys for doing this tonight. Thank it was you, Scott. a uh, Thanks, it was Scott. when was the last time you guys actually saw each other or sat in the same room together? The day we got fired. Yeah. Yeah, it's been December a while. December 11th, uh, 2015. But yeah. who remembers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a day that will live in infamy. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I I don't doubt it and it's uh just to go through again, Mark, you have um you have kept busy just in case someone hasn't seen you around. Oh. Uh again, tell about your podcast. You got a few I seconds. Your podcast here. called uh, No Fun Intended with uh, me and Liz West, so look for it on iTunes, uh available uh for free. I'm working on a documentary on the first Canadian to win a gold medal in the Olympic Games. Oh, who was that? Uh, or you, can you not give it away? Well, I'll Is tell it a you secret? what, if you knew anything about sports, anything about sports, <laughs> you still wouldn't know the answer to this. In winter this Olympics is the or most ob- This would I, be the most obscure, and you also know that the Summer Olympics took place well before the Winter Olympics. So this is started. not a documentary on Alexander Bilodeau. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. It's on, a, it's on probably the most, uh, I would say, the greatest athlete you've never heard of. Really? Yeah, he, this guy started hockey at the uh, University of Pennsylvania in 1896, coached lacrosse, soccer, uh, was just inducted into the Philadelphia Hall of Fame and spent the first 20 years of his life in Canada, went to the University of Toronto and set the Canadian record for the mile run, which lasted for 30 years. And no one knows who he is because, Scott, people of your ilk, the newspaper writers of the day, decided that once he went to the United States, he was no longer a Canadian and we should not cover him anymore. And I subscribe to that theory. Once you step across the border, you're cut you're off. You're done. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Uh, when will this be available? Do you expect? As soon as we're finished editing it, I guess. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, it's 2017, Canada sesquicentennial, so sometime in 2017. Excellent. I look forward to seeing that. Thank you. Scott Urquhart, uh, irkedfreelance.com, if someone wants to go there. And apparently you also, as well as doing freelance, you also post things. You were just talking about, you were posting, uh, yeah. what was it again? Which topic did we talk about today <laughs> that you had? We did a bunch. It was about uh, Trump and false news. Yes. Go read that at irked, U-R-K-E-D, freelance.com. Mark Scott, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Folks, have a wonderful weekend. I'll be back Monday at 7 o'clock. I hope you will be as well. Jacob, thanks for your help tonight. Have a great weekend, folks. Talk to you soon. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.